We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Bardwell. To hear more, please use our media player at PCAChurch.com and join us every Sunday at 1030 at 2313 East Prospect in Ponca City. Now join us for the following message. So since it is my turn, um, uh, I had some stuff that was kind of kicking around inside of me, but I didn't really feel like it was a complete sermon. I mean, it was just here and there and different little things. And one of those things was when I was um, in kids' church and I was going through a series, a video series called What's in the Bible? And it's, yeah, and it's put out. Thank you, Olivia. (laughs) We got each other's back. So it's put out by a man named Phil Vischer. You may not know who Phil Vischer is. He's he's a co-founder to a company called Big Idea. Anybody get any closer? Okay, okay. He's a co-founder of a plate thing called Veggie Tales. Okay, there we go. And they have great classic songs like Where Is My Hairbrush? And Everybody's Got a Water Buffalo. A little more volume, fellas. Everybody's got a water buffalo. You're too fast, but but my personal favorite is the cheeseburger song. And he put out a series called What's in the Bible? 
And parents, if you have kids that are growing up, I highly suggest it. If they haven't seen it at Kids Church already, you can plug it in every afternoon and let them watch it. It's fantastic. 13 DVDs, and they all talk about every step of the way what's in the Bible. But here's the thing. In part of that, of course he uses his puppets and his all his stuff, and but every once in a while he sits down at his desk and he just explains something. And during one of those times, he said something that struck me. He said it was all part of God's big rescue plan. And I had never heard that before. I had never seen it like that before. I never put it together like that before. A rescue plan. So I thought, okay, I'm going to do a word search. I want to find out what's up with the word rescue in the Bible. Well, there was a lot to read. But I won't bring it all to you today. No. <laughs> but <laughs> part of it that I really enjoyed was a couple of things. One was out of Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. This is a uh, Paul giving greeting to someone. It says, grace and peace to you from God our Father. And Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom glory forever and ever, I'm sorry, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I get excited reading scripture and I get ahead of myself. Anyway, and then I read in Psalms 107, 19 and 22 this. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Son, I mean, if you're doing your daily devotion and you were going to cross that part, you might as well get excited. That's right. There's a good spot right there. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Woo, son, I like that. I like that verse. I mean, but there's more. Here we go. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. And I was like, man, that is incredible. And the more I read, there's more and more and more and more evidence about this rescue plan that God has for each and every one of us. But you know what? <clears throat> I begin to see it now as a not just a story here and a story here and a little rescue here and a little rescue here. No, no. I begin to see it now as an interlinked thing that went all together and came all the way to me. It was incredible. Once you discover that, then you're just like, oh, my goodness. God, you are an amazing, amazing God. I mean, I knew that Jesus had come here at a certain time, at a certain place in history for a reason. I knew that, that he had a plan in place. I knew that they had set that place, uh, plan in place even after, right, uh, immediately after the Garden of Eden when he says in the scripture in Genesis how that, uh, that um, Jesus is going to crush the head of the serpent. I mean, I knew all this that was prophesied. I knew about it. But now I'm beginning to see it in this long, winding, linear path. And it's amazing. Then I hear a song on the radio called Reckless Love. Okay? And David's going to play a little bit of it. He's going to skip around. Don't worry about it. He's not messing it up. You may have heard this song too. When I first heard this song, I thought, why did they call it reckless? Because reckless in my mind means I'm not paying a lot of attention. 
I'm not doing a good job. You know? But then I began to realize the reason he called him reckless is because he's saying, God's going all out. He's going all in. He is going for it when he comes to loving you. He's going to go do anything to get to you. And Dave, go ahead and skip down toward the end. Let's see if we can find that part. Here it is. No wall you won't kick down. Nothing you won't kick down. You won't tear down. Coming after me. There it is. No shadow you won't. And so I began to listen to this song. I began to hear it over and over, and I just was like, you know what? This is my jam for now. That's right. God will come after me no matter what. Okay. Thank you so much for the song, guys. So I, I'm hearing this song, and I'm hearing this this idea of these things all connected from how that is part of God's big rescue plan. And I'm beginning to listen to this song and I'm understanding, you know what, in that song it says that God will go after the one and leave the 99. Right? So I'm like, okay, where's that in the Bible? I'm going to look that up. Luke, it's in Luke 15. It says this, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. They're curious. They want to know what's going on. What's happening? But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. And unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, in some ways, that would be us today. We have to be careful. We don't wind up being Pharisees and teachers of the law. We have to be followers of Christ. Okay? Be careful. Be careful. Okay. <clears throat> this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. <gasps> Aghast. Okay? <laughs> Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he leave the ninety-nine in the open, or doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. It's amazing. It's not like, it's not like when you go to Ikea and buy something and bring it home into your living room and try to put it together and you miss one of the screws. When that happens, you just go, ah, they put in extra. It's good. It's all right. Don't worry. Don't even worry about it. But, but, but this case, he's lost his sheep. God's, when God loses us, he goes after us. He searches for us. He goes to find us. But then I kept looking at that and I kept thinking, but Lord, I think I'm hanging with the 99. Right? I mean, and the Holy Spirit reminded me, uh, sometimes your attitude is out of whack. And sometimes you lie. And sometimes you're lazy. And sometimes you're indifferent. And sometimes you've got hatred up in your heart. That's hate, by the way. Hate. <laughs> he said, so you are the one. And I'm always after you. Always after you. Sometimes, though, people think that they've done too much. They think they've sinned more, they can be forgiven. But God just wants you to return to Him. He wants you to find. He wants to find you and help you, and He's coming after you. You see, when you just start to think to yourself, "I've done too much. It's too much. I can't. There's no way God can forgive me." 
You need to understand what I'm about to unveil right here. That all he has done to get to you at this moment in time. And all that he gave and all that he's put together and all that he has sacrificed and everything and weigh it over here and then weigh what you've done. And it'll never, ever tip the scale. You can't do it. You can never, ever, ever, ever sin enough to tip the scale of what God has done for you already. It can't be done. Now, here's the thing. Doing all that, have all that up in my brain, right? But I'm also weird, okay? I'll tell you that. Because I think strange, ridiculous things that no one has the answer to. But here's what I was thinking. Let's say 10, 20 people get up and do something different than what they've done before, prompted by the Holy Spirit. And those 20 people, wherever they may be around the world, that particular thing becomes significant because it creates a chain of events that wind up helping somebody down the road that the Lord had in place all along. Okay? So, and I mean, I'm not crazy weird. Like, I just go on and click the TV on and be like, Heather, come here! It's significant. I turned on the TV. No, it's not like that. It's not like that. But I'm talking about you buy somebody's lunch that you wouldn't have. You give somebody a ride that you probably wouldn't have before. You, all these different things that can take place to where it all fits together. And God's got a plan. He makes it all happen. Okay? And the amazing thing is, is that God sees every bit of it and knows how all of it fits and how all of it interacts and how each person's going to act and react. And oh, it's mind-boggling. You try it. You try figuring it all out. Man, we can barely keep up with airplanes in the air. Right? I mean, and God's got all that figured out. So I was thinking all of that, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to try to see if I can kind of get an idea of how this timeline, of how this linear thing of, of how God's got this rescue plan will work out. Because I think that every decision I've made in my life has brought me to this spot right here. And every decision you've made in your life has brought you to this spot right here. So it's no accident. I mean, I know what mine were, and by the way, I'm only going to tell you the good ones. I'm not going to tell you. <sighs> you know, obey my parents. Okay, disobey my parents. That, but both of those have a path, right? They both have a consequence. They both have a reward. Give my life to God at the age of seven in a Methodist church. Man, I can't forget that. That preacher was preaching. I don't know what word he said. I just remember I was guilty. <laughs> I was so guilty. And I was holding on to the back of that pew and my knuckles were turning white. And I was trying to decide, do I move forward? Do I not go forward? I went forward. And I went down to a little altar that had like this little pillow and it slid around under your knees. <laughs> if you're a Methodist, you know what I'm talking about. Okay. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and I gave my life to the Lord. And I don't remember five words that I said to anybody afterwards. I just remember going out front and they were on a big lawn. And there was dandelions. And I remember kicking the heads off dandelions and never being so happy in all my life. It was fantastic. <clears throat> Being baptized in the Holy Spirit at youth camp. Began to preach in, uh, um, I'm sorry, being called to preach in my bedroom in Duncan, Oklahoma. Being recalled to preach 
Because I was hard-headed. Being recalled to preach at a kids' crusade in Rush Springs, Oklahoma. And then memorizing scripture and the, the decision I made, one of the kinds of friends that I would pick. Hey, listen, you don't get to pick your family, but you can pick your friends. You get to pick them, right? So pick them good. Pick good friends. <clears throat> then I fell in love with a checker at Walmart. Hey, one of the best decisions I ever made, ever. Move to Ponca City, start a family, find a church, go to First Assembly of God, be part of the visitation team. Man, that was hard work, okay? Me and Dennis and a guy named Rob, we go out, knock on people's doors, never knew what was going to happen when they opened the door. <laughs> Good, bad, and all kinds of stuff. It was fantastic, though. Be part of the toddler class teachers, then come on staff, pursue ordination, become a children's pastor. I'm going to tell you how that happened. I always kind of felt the calling to be in ministry and to be in kids' ministry, but I never really kind of found an avenue or a way to pursue it. So we were, we were between pastors, right? And we got our new pastor. And our new pastor said, hey, what do y'all do for kids' church? I said, well, there's these folks named Mike and Penny Wiles. They take care of it. They're awesome. And about that time, I no more said that three days later. And they were like, Pastor, we're really tired. We've done as long as we can. We've done it for 12 years. We're done. <laughs> so, and so he's like, okay. So he goes and gets a guy from Oklahoma City. This guy comes up and he draws these beautiful drawings. He's amazing. But he has zero discipline. So the kids are like, yeah! all over the place, right? <laughs> so so our, our pastor at the time, he was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what to do. He goes, i got to get something else going on. So I said to him, hey, listen, I can save you whatever you're paying that guy to come. And I can try it. I've kind of always felt the leading that way. Let me try it. He goes, oh. You could do it for a season. Huh. Okay. My season hasn't stopped. It's still going. Okay. All right. But anyway, then finally, though, I did transition more into media and less into children's because I have Xenia Robertson, of course, who takes care of it uh, all the Sundays except for the first Sunday of the month. So I get to do media. But all those decisions brought me here today. My decision to say, yes, the pastor, I will preach instead of. You can do it, Tabe Flu. Get up here. <laughs> no, he can't. He's sick. Okay. And to listen to the Holy Spirit to tell you this message. Listen, when I, when I wrote this message out, I thought, Lord, I hope you know what you're doing. Because I, this is really simple. And God's like, it ain't complicated, son. That's why I got you to do it. Okay, so. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, buddy. Whew. But you know what? This happens in God's rescue plan, too. All those things. And I've already been told by Roy Tidwell that I need to be out of here about 1145. Kind of wrap things up. And I, I promise I'll move it along, but I will tell you this, Roy. We're going to start with Adam and Eve. <laughs> Of course, they messed it up, but man, they were in the presence of God before they did it. 
what a thing. And that's what he wants. He wants to be with you. He's coming after you because he wants to be inhabitants with you. Man, they mess that up. They sin and he can't be around that. And so they're making a separation between them and God. And then we're going to move on to Noah. He was such a faithful remnant. He built that boat for, I think I read in the Bible one time, over 100 years. I had to go back and research that to be for sure. But it was a long time. I can't keep a project going that long. There's an amen coming from my wife somewhere. Anyway, he went on and on with that boat. And finally, when God reached down and shut that door, after all those animals that were clean of seven of each kind and two of each kind of the unclean and all the, the kids of Moses and their wives. And he shut that door. And my friend, understand this. He had a rescue plan and it was coming right after you. It wasn't just an event in the Bible. It wasn't just something that happened then. It wasn't just some salvation for just those people on the boat. No, no. It's a series of events that's headed your direction. He's coming after you. We'll move on to Abraham. God tells him to go and he just goes. Just go. Where? I don't know. Go. So he goes. And he promises him, his children. And then Sarah and him kind of foul that up a little bit, right? But then he says, hey, you know what? I want you to give me your first, I want you to give me Isaac. And Abraham doesn't wait till he's got ten more sons. Or five more sons. Or any more sons. Before he goes and says alright Lord here we go. He goes right then. Because Abraham believed in faith. That God was going to make him. A, a ruler of many nations. That he was going to have many descendants. And God said to him. Through Isaac and Jacob. You will be more numerous. Than the sands of heaven. Or the, in the, of, more numerous than the sand. And the stars in heaven. God is continuing to unfold his plan and he's coming after you. He's coming after you. Then from Jacob we know we have Joseph, who is second in command in all of Egypt. Now I'm, I'm going to gloss over a lot of these, but this one right here I'm going to hit pause. And we're going to kind of connect and see how Joseph is a type of Christ. In other words, he, he has a lot of things that happen in his life that are very similar to the things that happen in Christ's life. Here's a few. You ready? They were both beloved by their father. They were both envied and hated without a cause. They were both a root out of dry ground. They both foretold that one day they're going to rule. They both were accused of being a dreamer or beside themselves. They both were sent by their father to seek out their brother's welfare. They both went willingly and sought till they found them. They both re were rejected and condemned to die. They were both stripped of their clothes. They were both thrown in a pit. They were both sold for silver into the hands of Gentiles. They were both raised from the... <clears throat> I'm sorry. They were both <clears throat> raised from the pit. They were both would go into Egypt. Both would become a servant. Both, everyone, or, and everything... I'm sorry. Both of them, everything they did would prosper. Both resisted temptation. Both were falsely accused. Both were numbered with their transgressors. Both were promised deliverance to a condemned man. Both foretold the future accurately. Both prompted, both were prompted to honor and glory and given a new name. And both provided for all that were in need. And both 
said that all people would command, be commanded to bow to them. And both people did not recognize them and both revealed themselves and reconciled with those they loved. Both. And it's not by coincidence. It's not by mistake. It's because God's got a plan. He's got a rescue plan. And he's continuing to fold it out and head your direction. He's coming after you. All that way back when, way back before Jesus ever arrived on the scene. Now we're going to move on to Moses. See, we're clicking along. We're almost out of Genesis. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> God protected him, provided for him, helped him, and led his children out of Egypt. From that exile or that exit, we get something called the Passover, where the death angel would pass over the, the, the Israelites, and their firstborn would not die because they had the blood above their mantle or on their doorposts. Then in the desert, they would have the pillar of smoke by day and the fire by night. And he would help them across the Red Sea and he would send them manna from heaven. And he would give Moses the law and he would reside in a new big tent called the tabernacle. Behind the curtain, the holy of holies. Why? Because he wants to be an inhabitant with you. He can't hang out with you if you be in a... Just and not holy, but if he has a way to hang out where you cannot be hurt, it's what he's going to do, and that's what he did. He got behind the curtain in the tabernacle. I want to be with my kids. I want to be with my people. Of course, you can only go in there one time a year, and even then, that, that person had to be, you know, they had to do blood sacrifices of the lamb and all that stuff, and, then, and they put the little bells on their there's dress that they were wearing so that they wouldn't, um, you know, if they died, they didn't hear the bell anymore. Yank them out with the rope. So, <laughs> it's good to be a preacher today. <laughs> anyway, son. He would later go on to orchestrate the lives of Ruth and Esther and Gideon and show that he has might and power and provision at such a time as this, making the weak strong and the widow part of a royal family. He is still coming after you. I mean, if you haven't got this picture in your head yet, let me help you. It's like Liam Neeson. You take his wife or his daughter and he's going to come after you. Okay? That's, that's God. That's Jesus. He's coming after you. You don't mess with his kids. He's coming to get you. And he's coming to kick the devil in the face. Or whatever he has to do to get rid of him. He's coming after you. Next we move on and we skip ahead to David. Who would show that God was still in control. And that he's still bigger than any foe. And that he would help slay a giant called Goliath. And when he slung that stone... And it met its mark and it made its thwack on Goliath's head. Make no mistake. That wasn't just an event for that day. That was an event that, boom, was coming after you. It's headed your direction. God has got a plan. Now David, though, he thinks, you know what? I don't like it that God's hanging out in a tent. Maybe we should make him a temple. And God said, that's really great. I appreciate you thinking that up. And I, I really appreciate you making the plans. And all, but you can't do it, David. You've got blood on your hands. 
I'm going to let your boy Solomon do it. So Solomon did. And it is said that when the priests walked out of the place that would be the Holy of Holies, they walked out and the presence of God filled the place. And that the glory of God filled the temple. Why? Because he wants to be an inhabitant with you. And he's coming after you. It's all part of his plan. Now you would think that with God right there, he's just right behind the curtain. Okay? You would think that with him right there, that would be great confidence for Israel. And that they would always, always, always follow the Lord. Right? Wouldn't you think that? That's not the case. Solomon made alliances with all kinds of countries, and he would marry their wives, and because their wives worshipped other gods, he would build their temples, and they would worship, they were just a mess. It became a huge mess. By the end of Solomon's life, he's writing, Oh, all this vexation and vain spirit is so, so awful. Boy. He was sorry for himself. Well, he was in misery. He had like a hundred women, even though it was his wife, that poor guy. One woman, man. <laughs> anyway. And one man for the ladies. I'm not bashing women, by the way. Okay, sorry. He would end up, though, <clears throat> you got to understand that he would end up, though, building the temple. And God would inhabit that place. And he was continuing to come your direction. He would send prophet after prophet after prophet to tell Israel to turn from their ways. Sometimes they would listen. Sometimes they would not. But listen, every time he sent one of those prophets, it was part of his plan to help you understand that at 2313 East Prospect, he plans to show up. And he's after you. It says this. In Isaiah was one of those prophets. It says this in Isaiah 51. I'm going to read all the way to verse 16. Hang in there. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness. That's us, right? And who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were cut and the quarry from which you were hewn. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who gave you birth. When I called him, he was only one man, and I blessed him and made him many. The Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins. And he will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the sound of singing. Listen to me, my people. Hear my nation. Instruction will go out from me. My justice will become a light to the nations. My righteousness draw near speedily. Did you hear that part? His righteousness is drawing near speedily. My salvation is on the way. And my arm will bring justice to the nations. The islands will look to me and wait in hope for my arm. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look at the earth beneath. The heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment. And its inhabitants will die like flies. But my salvation will last forever. My righteousness will never fail. Hear me. You who know what is right, you people who have taken my instruction to heart, do not fear the reproach of mere mortals or be terrified by their insults. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, the worm will devour them like wool, but my righteousness will last forever. My salvation through all generations. I'm going to go ahead and skip on down, but 
He continues to talk about everything that he's going to do. And then finally he says this, I, even I, he who comforts you, who are you that you would fear mere mortals? Human beings are but grass. That you forget the Lord your maker who stretches out the heavens and who lays the foundations of the earth. That you live in constant terror every day because of the wrath of the oppressor who is in a bent on destruction. For where is the wrath of the oppressor? The cowering prisoner will soon be set free. They will not die in their dungeon, nor will they lack bread. For I am the Lord your God who stirs up the sea so it that its waves roar, the Lord Almighty in his name. I have put my words in your mouth and covered you with a shadow of my hand. I who set the heaven in place, who laid the foundations of the earth, and who say to Zion, you are my people. He's coming after you. He is coming after you. Now, like I said, they, they would do good sometimes, and sometimes they'd be bad. And when they would do bad, God would let a nation conquer them. They had all kinds of people conquer them. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, Babylonians they, had, they had all kinds of people go after them and get them. And the latest ones was the Romans. They got them. And it was under Roman rule that they issued a decree that said, hey, you've got to go to that city of your kin and pay your taxes. And so we know what happened. Mary and Joseph headed on out to the town of Bethlehem, the city of David, to go pay their taxes. And in doing so, fulfill prophecy. <clears throat> Where we know a group of lowly shepherds would see a multitude of angels burst on to the night sky announcing the birth of Christ. Man, now that would have been awesome. Any other time I would say, I don't want to be a shepherd. Because sheep are dumb and they stink. Okay? <laughs> Real sheep. Okay? They, they're awful. But listen, this one time I would want to be a shepherd. Because I would want to be out there when that happened. That had to be absolutely spectacular. I know they were afraid, but when it was all over, they were like, Oh, did you see what I saw? <laughs> there ain't no getting over that. You know what I'm saying? I think that set you up for the rest of your life. Like, whoa. Okay, so anyway, I think it's good stuff. But that would have been awesome. But the angels are saying, Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. For unto you this day in the city of David is... Born the Christ, the Lord, the salvation of man. God is still coming after you. His plan is still in place. It's still making its way right here to Ponca City. Come in your direction. That child will grow up and he will have to flee into Egypt because there's an evil king that wants to kill all little boys that are under the age of three. He'll have to hurry and get out of there. But then when he comes back at the age of 12... And after he comes back around the age of 12, he's going to marvel all the teachers of the synagogue. He's going to perform his first miracle at a wedding, knowing that all the while he's here on earth to fulfill a plan so that he can come and claim his bride, the church. He's going to gather 12 men around him, and it's going to be his inner circle, and he's going to teach crowds of people, and he's going to heal them, and he's going to help other people to understand that he is fully man and fully God at the same time. And that he's coming after them. And that he is coming after you. <clears throat> he's going to tell the woman at the well. Hey, he's going to basically read her mail. Right? She had to be like, what is going on? Ain't nobody supposed to know that. Okay? Then he's going to heal the woman with the issue of blood. He's going to open the blind, mind's eye, the blind man's eyes. He's going to 
raise up the lame. He's going to raise people from the dead. All part of his plan. Because he's coming after you. He's headed your direction. He is coming after you. You see what I mean when I say this? It's a simple message. I keep saying that over and over. Coming after you. And God's like, that's what I want you to say. And I'm like, okay, God, I'll say it. He's coming after you. <clears throat> he would talk of his death and resurrection and forgive those who doubted him after his rising. He would comfort those who denied him. He would tell everyone leaving right before he left. Go and tell of my resurrection. Go spread the gospel through Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the world. Because his plan is coming after you. He's got a rescue plan. He wants you to use it. Now, of course, we know after the resurrection of Christ and after God, Christ ascended, the church would go on through the disciples and the apostles to follow and the way that it spread throughout the world. Was it perfect? No. No, it was not. You can just study history and figure that one out. The church, we all know, saw upheaval. It saw scandal. It saw persecution. It saw, it saw parts of it, the parts of it that were very human and had nothing to do with God. But it also always had a remnant of people who served God faithfully and truly and in spirit and in truth. And because of them, the gospel continued correctly and rightly and upright. And it continued to go forward and it continued to change lives. You see all the tradition and the legalism and the dogma, it changes nothing. The only thing that changes lives is the real deal. Jesus Christ himself and his love and how it just comes in and absolutely shakes your world around. And changes you from the inside out. That's it. Amen. All that other stuff is just added on fluff. <clears throat> then in 1376, John Wycliffe would translate the Bible into Middle English. Then Gutenberg would hit his, pre his, his printing press and he would begin to, to press the Bible. He would begin to press, he began to make prints of the Bible. And more people were learning to read and more people could read. And more people were finding out the greatness and the awesomeness of God. And God's plan was in action because it's headed your direction. It's coming after you. In 1517, Martin Luther would say, hey, wait a minute. This isn't just for priests. This isn't just for the, the, the uppity ups in the church. This is for everybody. And so he nails his reform letter on the door of the church and says, hey, we got to have this for everyone. God's plan, he's still coming after you. 1525, William Tyndale would complete his translation of the Bible. Revivals would spring up in Europe with preachers such as John Wesley and later in the Americas with preachers such as Jonathan Edwards. And men and women would seek God's face and spend their lunch break in prayer. Because God's coming after you. He's coming your direction. Those, that's not just an isolated event for their time only. It's part of his thread. It's part of his plan. It's part of his woven thing that he's moving toward your direction. He's coming after you. <clears throat> Students would gather in Kansas and say, we want to find out if what it says in Acts 2 is real. And they would shut themselves up in a room and they would say, we're going to pray. We're going to ask God for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And they were baptized in the Holy Spirit and it spread like wildfire as far as Los Angeles even. And they would have 
They would have revivals on a place called Azusa Street, and it went all over the place. And missionaries were popping up, were left and right by the dozen, and people were being healed, and people were was being saved, and there was all kinds of amazing things happening because God was at work, and He was coming after you. Men and women of God would give all they had to establish churches in towns, even though they would be poked fun at and called holy rollers and tongue talkers and pew jumpers. But they would press forward and they would say, it's worth it. Because every time we assemble together, we lift up the name of God and we leave that place endued with power from on high. We leave that place with power to face the rest of the week. We leave that place with the power that when my friend says, I'm sick, what do I do? I say, let's pray that you'll be healed. I leave that place with the power to say to my friend whose marriage is failing, listen, God's bigger than this. He's greater than this. He can help you with this. That's what happened. And God, the whole time, is part of his plan. And he's coming after you. I've gone four minutes over, Roy. I'm hustling. Okay. But here's the thing. It's, a wrong, it's been a long road to this point, right? But hey, I only, only glossed over it. I can't, I can't tell you all of history. I can't tell you all of the Bible in one setting. I tried, but I can't. You know? It's all just, just a snippet of what God has done. And like I told you before, you cannot tip the scale. All of that. Plus, God robbed heaven just for you. He went and found the best heaven had to get to you. That's the exchange. Your junk, your mess, your bleh for the best in heaven. That's the swap. It's a good deal, people. It is a good, good deal. Now, here's the thing. You can go and request an audience with our mayor, Mr. Homer. Okay, you may get in about a 50-50 chance, maybe. You can go and request an audience with our governor. Probably like a 20% chance you're getting in, right? Not real good. Probably don't have, don't mess with it. You can go and request an audience with Donald Trump himself, President Trump. I can. I can say with a 99.9.9999 certainty, you're not getting in. They are not going to let you talk to him. It's just not going to happen. Okay? Unless you're going to go and say, I've got a nuclear bomb right here. <laughs> They're not letting you go talk to the president. Even then, they might not. But listen, it doesn't matter. I told you a while ago, people are but grass. In comparison to God. God himself is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And you can have an audience with him today. Right now. Everybody stand with me. Message. Join us anytime at PCAChurch.com and every Sunday at 2313 East Prospect in Ponca City.